1: Recorded live. Well, hello, hello, hello out there, my listening audience. It's your girl, Barbara McGee. And guess what? We're in the penthouse tonight. Yeah, absolutely. You are live on Straight Talk. And, uh, of course, we're missing our executive producer. We just want to give him just a quick shout-out. Hey, Rodney, hope you're feeling great. We love you. And we're waiting for you to come back to uh, Straight Talk Live. We can't do it without you. All right, and I know I see we have Galaxy Chief in the house. I don't know if you can see me, but right now I'm giving you the uh, the uh, Sergeant of Arms. I'm giving you that big old, what do you do when you say it? Salute? Yeah, salute. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Okay, so everybody, I'm so glad, um, ladies and gentlemen, that we're here tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about... Social equity. What does that mean when people say that? Because actually, that's been a big conversation that I've been hearing down here in Los Angeles. I've been listening to people talk about social equity. There's a lot of confusing, uh, confusing uh, things about it too. Because some women think it means women. Some uh children think it means children, you know so, so everybody's confused about what it means to be social equity, but tonight, I have a special guest now, his name from coming live from Los Angeles is brother Daryl, and I had a chance to meet Daryl at one of the meetings uh, that happened in southern california we're not going to bring up the name of the meeting or anything but it is the movers and shakers that are coming into play for the licensing and the uh, i guess the push forward for adult use cannabis for recreation yep. now mm-hmm. it's important to know this because we know that medical cannabis is already legal Even though no one has a license for it, but now we're going to have adult use recreational. And so they're reconfiguring everything and uh, Los Angeles is taking the lead in making the laws in California and they are expecting to do the business should be somewhere like $5.2 billion. I said billion with a B in the next uh, 18 months. Uh, So, uh, this is well worth paying attention, so hold your chairs. Everybody, I want you to welcome Brother Daryl. Brother Daryl, thank you so much for being Uh, on the show, Straight Talk tonight. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. And we want to give a shout out to wwwt 25 Com for allowing us and Galaxy Talk Radio for letting us be here uh, tonight. Okay, so... I envision this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm in a room, all white men, three or four black men, three or four black women, and they're all discussing how they're going to make an enormous amount of money and how they're going to do this irregardless. You know, that's not even a word, but this is their attitude, irregardless of who in effect. How it comes about, they are just moving right along in business. And, and I don't blame them because business is paramount. We know that as we watch our new administration at the helm. And uh, I heard a voice in the back of the room that talked about what about our kids? What about the social equity? What about our neighborhoods? What are you going to do about being and doing business and getting millions out of our neighborhoods? What are you going to do about that? And I just was so impressed with this young man. I had to bring him so he could speak to uh, the world, the Internet world, and so here we go. So, Brother Don, yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about you and your romance with Los Angeles. How long has it been going on?
0: Uh, roughly about seven to eight years. Um, it was a on-and-off love affair that, ended with me going back to Arizona for about nine months, and I couldn't deal with the heat, so then I ended up coming back out to L.A. and um, just becoming very actively involved as much as I could with whatever I could at the time. My buddy actually got me involved in nonprofit work, and that kind of made me more aware of the social injustices that were going on in a very um, hyper active city and, you know, just in all major cities, you have a lot of social friction, so you get to adapt and to kind of grow into it. And L.A. is just, you know, over the years has been kind of a, a tough place to love, but you, you really do get to get some stripes on yourself, so.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know what, uh, we, uh, I think as people of color, have always found ourselves, in the quagmire of the tough love, (laughs) don't you think? Yes. I mean, we're always, you know, I think that's what gives us such great tenacity because we're great dreamers, we are indestructible by the grace of God, and uh, our spirits are just uh, unequaled. But the real interesting point about us is our love affair with things that are not necessarily always the best things for us. And that Mm -hmm. is really what keeps the spirit alive is always striving for that to attain and achieve that goal. So you came out here. You're here now. You are a young man, actually. And uh, I think that's really what impressed me so much by what you were saying. So how do you feel when you know that in your neighborhood, uh, soon and very soon, Uh, there will be someone that you don't know that will be on the corner uh, in the dispensary, wherever it is, uh, selling recreational marijuana. Now, let's just say, let's just stop for a moment and say, because if you were to do it across the street in the gas station, you would probably go to jail before noon. So how do you feel about that?
0: I feel like like the sphinx with no nose because – I think it's just a repetition of what our history has kind of been able to unfold. And whenever a melanated person is ever in any kind of form of obligation of doing something for themselves and when they're empowering their own kind, it's always, you know, the need of the structure, you know, whatever force you want to call it to kind of put their, their smack down on whatever element that's growing out of that. And I do think that it's a sad wreck of, you know, reflection of what's happening with us becoming kind of obsolete and not needed into the economic system. And, you know, with marijuana and where it's going, it has a lot of, I think, alleviations to providing a better, I think, future for people in, you know, lower to mid-level economic status areas. And Los Angeles has so many of them, and a lot of them are represented by more brown and black people. And, A lot of that has to be taken into play when it comes to how this industry has left a lot of people behind and profited a lot off of, you know, flesh. And when we want to see this industry be equitable, we have to make sure that last become first. And that's sharing and making sure that we're not just telling somebody something, but we're teaching them. And that means repetition, regardless of how, you know, educated they are at any level. It's, It's about making sure that we all bring up the weakest links of what's been going on and we're you know we're an empowered people by a history that has been shaded by a whitewash, but we're also you know very capable of now reprogramming ourselves for a better future and you know not looking at marijuana from a, a moral issue because that's how the abolitionists were able to kind of common the idea of thinking that slavery was a bad thing by you know impacting the moral issues of the brutality of people, but not the economics and that's what we have to really look at here is that this is a, a bigger economic. Um, growth and of people that really only reflect such a small percentage of the GDP of the actual, you know, nation of America. And so I think a lot so, of it so, has to
1: so be So hold on. I, I, just, I just want to go back. I just want to go back because you said something that was very powerful. And what you said was, did you, did I hear you right, say the extinction? Did you say that it, it was a method of uh, making us extinct and making us uh, grandiose in the sense that we're not moving forward, so we are the problem? and we're stuck on one spot, and this is why we go to jail, this is why we can't make money, this is why we can't sit in, is because of the fact that we're still stuck in one space in our minds and in ourselves socioeconomically. That's our problem. And then other people are seeing it that way, and they're moving on without us uh, eventually to not even include us at all. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, I
0: mean, there's a lot of disenfranchisement that's happening and it's going to perpetually happen until we start addressing and holding accountable some of the administrative aspects of what's going on with any kind of regulation ordinances that are changing the reflections of people that are involved in it, the voices that are there. So it's it's really important for us to take in our civic duty to realize that our active elements, what we do in society are what make who we are. And once we start holding that accountable, I think we can unite stronger as a nation because, you know, it's like we're the only I think people within America that don't have a nation to call upon, you know, and and the only thing that we can reflect on is, you know, some great ideal of a flag representing who we are when really it's been with only non-immigrants of America when it comes to how property has been kind of locked us in a constitutional law of it. So I just think when we've been disenfranchised for so long, we're just waking up and getting uh, kind of more acclimated into what we can do and technology's there for us, you know, um, social programs are there for us, but then even just your community in general. I mean, most people try to, you know, just allow themselves to be involved with what's going on in the community, but that's the most impactful way that you can actually make a change and make a, a known way of doing something better. And like I say, but, county, but, 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 but,
1: but imagine this. Okay, so so just check this out. All right, I hear you, but let's take a city like Oakland where mm-hmm. the demographic has changed so drastically. Before we could even um, realize it, our rents were doubled and tripled for, you know, properties that, you know, nobody wanted. Neighborhoods that were extremely violent and that were run down and that, you know, you might have a studio or one-bedroom with a kitchen that hasn't been painted in 20 years and now you get a note. You've been living there 12, and they give you a note and say, hey, we appreciate your patronage, but next month give us 3,600. So being frugal, we decide to move out. So when we move out, we find ourselves, the only real common denominator we have is either the city council meeting or church. Those are the only two places, or like maybe a concert or what have you, but even a concert is not a free event. So it's a qualifier, a financial qualifier. You got to have a ticket. So
2: yeah.
1: yeah, so when when they get asked one of the major moves behind getting you to leave where you live, abandon that area is to abandon your privilege to get together and hold it down. Isn't that right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of run from, you know, to the hills when they, when they think of opportunities and outside of where you live, the most blighted elements are, are typically the most resourceful. I mean, in my neighborhood, right down the street, I mean, the home is literally about 16 by 16. It went for 850000 So it's just thinking of what they're looking at this prospectively for the next couple of years. And, you know, it's like the future gains of a lot of stuff in our society are based around that. And, you know, simple things that can, I think, protect us more so is reading to learn and 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 stop applying you know visuals as stimulations of what we can actually do and you know being task orientated I mean we can say religion is there but everything can be a religion if you put in a practice behind it so it's it's really putting in in the fourth of saying well how can I determine something that could be for a betterment of constructive justice how can we build truth around it, you know, if we can – and what if anything that's out there that's above all that would be racism on every scale of nine activities that we are guided by. So it's it's just – it's finding that, and I think with a lot of what you see in Oakland or you are seeing in Los Angeles and certain small communities of people being dislocated, not relocated, but dislocated from the area – it it, it, dis- it disenfranchises identity. It takes away from it. So when people think about our communities, we don't have as many anymore. And when we start looking at it from the st- standpoint of saying we're standing up with the due diligence to uh, work for an effort of finding solution-driven ways for our, our own kind, because, you know, you can look at a distance and see a person, but, you know, the first thing you identify with is the color. We can only identify with that because slavery is the only time where in our time period, it was only reflective because of the skin color. Before then, it was in intention. It was religious wars, things like that. But it was never a time where it was skin, and now it's where we have to start looking at the impact of who we are and what we can actually provide through, you know, a unity. And not everything is going to be beneficial and great, but we have to leverage those things. And not everybody's going to survive, but we have to look for the best and, you know, um, demand it almost in a sense. And you know, I know that people are. Going to use every sob story that they can to to impress that they have done some, but we're all victims of racism. We can all accept that the fact that we have something that's truth, but now we need to find something that's actionable, and stop waiting for something to fall from the sky because it's not. You know, debts will always come, bills will always come. You know, but right? Like,
1: exactly. So, so let me ask you this question. So, uh, I can tell that you are. So, did your parents? instill you with this feeling of, I can do something to make a change? Or did you just kind of come up on this yourself? Uh,
0: Fail, failure. I mean, I I went through a lot of different transitions in life. I grew up in, you know, Brussels, Belgium for a portion of my life. Yeah, I've lived in Europe. I've traveled through parts of Africa, you know, Europe. And I got to see what I think, you know, like a – Like, I mean, if you were to read anybody like, uh, I mean, you can't say James Baldwin, but anybody Mm -hmm. that was at a time period of being able to leave the U.S. and see what a different form of prejudice is based on more of a secular element and then coming back to the U.S., you look at, it's almost disgusting to think that this is the way a culture is. And I'm not basing it as a bad thing. I just think the privilege that some people utilize to their advantage is just disgusting. And that's where we can kind of better ourselves. But living abroad, living you know, in Texas, having family in Virginia and traveling, it's allowed me to be able to broaden a, a perspective of reality that I think not a lot of people of my, my skin tone can actually convey and translate. And, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody with that. It's just I know that what it feels like to, to have that kind of interdependence what? of knowing that society's not always looking to incriminate you. And when you come back to America, you feel that. You feel that intensity, right. that sickness, that self-medication, that that need, that savagery. And, you know, they, you know, they recently said black lives matter now is a part of the FBI black identity extremist list. And it's, it's just crazy to think that like, you know, you've demonized the people so long they've learned through your ancestors and whatever else, the violence and hatred, and they they imply in society because of the social structures and institutions and things and programs. But then it's like, we still try to treat them like, animals, savages, adjectives, you know.
1: Right. Well, you know, I, not to interrupt, but just to say that, you know, now you brought up a very interesting piece. And, yeah, I did read that also, that Black Lives Matter has been put now on the Sad. FBI, Sad. FBI, yeah, FBI and most wanted list. Now, we know before when the Black Panthers, well, like I say, I'm from Oakland, so the Black Panthers were on they were the number one most wanted group of people and they were seen as uh, after they went to sacramento with their rifles they were seen as immediate threats and they were shot down by dogs i mean all over the country from um, oakland sacramento chicago uh, new york philadelphia los angeles i mean it happened and then not long after that, I don't know if you even remember, but there was another group that believed in separatism that were educating their young people. Their name was, I want to say, the MOVE organization. And the MOVE organization was getting traction over in Philadelphia. And the MOVE organization, can you believe, they, they were blown up. They, they blew up a whole two blocks to eradicate the MOVE organization. So it's not like we haven't seen this before. And I think it's very interesting what is happening with the flag, which has nothing to do with the issue at hand. It is just a total false news report uh, 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 making other people's agenda come forward when they still are not dealing with the fact that we are being disproportionately attacked by the by the police force that we hire uh, that we are paying out of our tax dollars to protect us, so yeah. nobody wants to bring that up so what's your thoughts on a football league that's eighty percent black? I guess maybe they forgot that that's eighty percent black that actually is Making a demand. What is your thought about that? What do you think? Do you think that they're going to um alleviate or put them out of football? Do you think that's possible?
0: White America's gonna get enraged. <laughs> that's their favorite pastime. <laughs> they go to that more than they go to church, so who knows? I mean I think I think players need to Take as many of them that money out and put it into a black-owned bank or NFL bank for retirement pensions or whatnot. Because I just like for me, I'm 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 a separatist from the idea of thinking that society is going to function if everybody's just out for their own. And I I don't think you should pay somebody that's going to go and I play football. I had concussions. That's why I came over my company as a you know as a cannabis syrup for that because you can't endure all that in your life and expect to live a long life and know that you spent portions of your high school, middle school days not sleeping because of, you know, whatever head traumas that were happening throughout the time period of being on the field. So I get where the strength and struggle goes into that institution, but I do also believe that, you know, there's a need to really alleviate this barbarous way of trying to say that we need a bunch of black people fighting and being aggressive because that's the only thing in this world that I think, can train you how to be as aggressive as to try to hurt somebody above and beyond natural causations of doing something. But, you know, for for white America's sense of what it is, when it comes to this flag, it's literally something that represents a very awkward taste in our history because so much of it has been shaded in a different light. And if you don't believe it, we just have to believe in what can be juxtaposed as literature empirical truths, And we have to look at it from the fact that if you go to our history, if you, I mean, I've seen more black Jesuses in cathedrals in Europe when I got to travel with class, you know, you know, tours or whatnot and trips. So I just think when I see all of this and I represent a different type of outlook of how the propaganda of who we are, as people should be represented, it's really hard to think that we're still trying to be third graders in a sixth grade world and, you know, putting our time into anything that's going to be a passive entertainment while there's still people suffering, it's its kind of a slap in the face. And, you know, I get where they're putting their time into being athletically strong and performance-based, and they might help out with the neighborhood or two, but it doesn't end racism. It doesn't end the plight of people. It doesn't end the migration, the location of people. You know, and like I said, I'm not claiming to be no ominous God or any person of religious faith or beyond anything else. I just know that when there's true justice and constructive ways of building around that, you really can't fail. And everybody is equitably given the right leverage that they need to achieve. And it's not done in ill will forms. And, you know, right. and I think when it comes to this privilege of white people getting mad about a knee or not, you know, you didn't, your ancestors might've not, Did you might not have didn't think cause your ancestors, but you know what, you're still in relations to a lot of the stuff that they were neglecting and not really addressing and you know everything's got to be put into so many regulations and loopholes and c- complexities i mean it's just it's saddening to think that we don't have the the economic wealth power to actually do things because of certain limitations that put us in this you know one percent you know look at everything that we do is like black month that's black history month, that's everything that we do. it's always in the ratio one twelfth of everything, even less because we never get the full expansion of what we are and what we represent as building a nation
1: that is so I,
0: great that can't yes. look at us as great people, you know.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. I wanted to stand up and give you a standing ovation because <laughs> I love the way you put that. But I will say this. So you talked a little bit about your use and your ability to travel, how that, how that was able to, broaden your horizons and give and give you a much better perspective as to think about, you know, you and how you relate to the world opposed to you and how you relate to a city or area or a zip code. I know that there is a lot of people, a lot of black people, that don't travel and they don't expand their base to understand that we're not received the same when we are in more of an international set and i think that's very important to know and i think we should encourage one another to get your passport and to travel and to find out what is beyond here but 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 let me just go back to this so you played football and you Mm -hmm. came with with an injury and it was a brain injury it was like you've had too many concussions you were good at it and now With these concussions, you found a need to create a oil, and this oil is based on cannabis. And go ahead, tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, um, and then we have,
1: and then we have a caller. We'll take the caller in just one.
0: Okay, so it's actually um, a cannabis syrup that is infused with uh, just like a lower potency of the actual. a constituting thing of THC and CBN but um, the idea is that I created just for an easy on the go type of you know added way of enjoying my medicine Um, with concussions there's and for me personally it's like I would always have to say this is like for me I've never been actually other than speaking to a doctor of what I have gone through having sleepless nights and whatnot I really came into the like the actual like Aha moment of knowing that a lot of the concussions that I did have from football were kind of the reason for my head to swell and have kind of this this little kind of swelling feeling in the front lobe. But when I would intake any kind of cannabinoid, it would reduce and the inflammations would just kind of be less of you know a problem where I wouldn't have headaches or anything else. So, um, but the product itself is I mean it's a great you know added thing. We have six different flavors that we offer and what it does is just kind of gives you something that you can, you know, attribute to any kind of drink that you're adding throughout the day.
1: Oh, so you just pour it into a drink and then it gives it's like a little enhancement, but it's a way for you to take your medicine. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you can, like I say, water, teas, coffees, I mean, anything that is a liquid form because it's just like any other, you know, simple syrup that you would add, you know. But um, what we do at certain events, we'll do like a, a soda element with it or do carbonated water tonic water just to add to it as well. And um, some of the herbs that we use are also infused with just elements of like terpenes that are pretty natural across a lot of herbs and flowers and stuff like that as well. So.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I, I want to talk to you more about that. We have a caller on the line. Uh Caller, go ahead. Uh, state your name and uh, I know you had a question. Go ahead.
2: Oh, is that me? Mean-
1: That would be you.
2: Hey, what's up, Barbara McGee? How you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. This is our Galaxy Chief, Andre Ward. Welcome, Andre. I want to introduce you to uh, Brother Daryl from Los Angeles, California, an entrepreneur. And uh, go ahead. You had a question, and uh, I just want to give you gentlemen a chance to uh, uh, interact. Go ahead. Hey, Brother from L.A. Hey, brother Darrell from L.A. How you doing now?
2: I'm doing well. How are you? All right, my brother. All right. And uh, I was listening very closely to the things that you were saying. And, um, you know, as it pertains to our issues here and now, um, this new thing came out, I guess, today with the FBI, um, some new category that they're putting us in now. And with everything that we have gone through in this country, 310 years of slavery, then another 50, 60 years of Jim Crow laws and integration, segregation, all these other hatred things, the lynchings, the burning, uh, what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a few other uprisings that, that they have done to us. And then we went through the crack cocaine era. We've gone through the Panthers. We've gone through the Muslims. We've gone through this and that and other course, Nick. Let me ask you, is there an earthly solution to all of this? Or is is it a situation where as long as we're here, they're here. We're going to keep finding these issues of racism and hatred in some new type of a way or technology to attack black folks and the issues and things that we see going on now and, and this crap with the NFL is blatantly not a, a protest against the flag it's not a protest against national anthem it's a protest against uh, white policemen killing black men and women is there an earthly solution to these issues, or is it going to take an off-planet solution to
0: solve all this? Uh, Wow, I mean, that's a loaded question. Um,
2: I I would first
0: have to say, I mean, you know, there's always a solution for everything, and I think it's really just kind of looking at the context of our times and what our goals and ambitions are. We've diluted ourselves into a lot of different other groups, so our economic power on a melanated side is a little bit, Disassociated with each other, and then when it comes to what we see as society, we have a propaganda element that's pretty much shamed us throughout the years. And like you say, the crack epidemic didn't give a good light. The hip hop industry, you know, on certain you know elements, you know, pushed a different kind of image of black culture and whatnot. And the vocal cords of a lot of these very wealthy celebrities. Public icons you know have used that platform in other ways of branding and whatever else, but've forgotten that the persona of our people have communalized around very low primitive energy sources and within our society we haven 't understand how the banks work with the currency of flow of of money, and we 're really trying to i think at this point in life live a little bit longer to Help the generations to come now, because technology is right at our fingertips. I mean, I recently had a child, and he's learning the alphabets from YouTube videos. And you know, it, it, for us, we learned in school, and you know, calculators were something we used. And nowadays, everything is integrated at your fingertips. So, you know, we can't say that we're you know not as an active group. We're just dis dislocated on a lot of elements of what well, we can localize our issues on and become solution-driven and the major things that really define it and not being you know just kind of narrow-minded in one thought process because we need to leverage what works and does not work, and we know that within society, the government, and things that they've implemented through laws and regulations haven't always leveraged in our favor, and they haven't been equitable, and we can't hold them accountable. We have to hold ourselves accountable and our leaders accountable so that we can start empowering our communities a little bit more to recognize that there are images of things that are above and beyond entertainment value and third-grade mindset. And I'm not trying to, you know, um, disrespect anybody that takes offense to that term, but you know, it, it's a real strong element in our society to know that most of us kind of come out of school with really a low-educated level of mentality to never really understand how we can logically build and be constructive with what we do. And I'm very much about time and effort. I think everything comes with that. And, you know, as a people, we have so many creative ideas. We're such a, a resourceful thing. You know, I mean, we, you know, look at, I mean, Rick Ross created the whole processes and operations of all the things you see now and these front runners that have come into the industry of cannabis and are basically have set up operations, ancillary businesses, distribution sites, all this other stuff because they stole it from a guy that's been incriminated and can't even own the rights to his name now. You know, it's just, we have so many ways of being, you know, very influential and we always allow someone else to capitalize on with outside of us and we never try to learn how to distribute it within our own and reflect on the fact that our dollar and, and our purchasing power can be so powerful. And I know these are things to say and I know that you know, getting off the line and people will go right back to their daily life, and watch their Netflix or whatever else. But, you know, it's really taking that hour or two out of the day to reach out to somebody and see if you can get active with something within your community or without. But Minds need Premier, to work you you
2: mentioned like, you mentioned black leaders a little while ago. Do we really have black leadership now?
0: No, no. But I mean, I, we have to I, say I, that because how do we identify with it? You know, carrots aren't really orange. You know that. So it's like, I mean, people just assume that. But we have to be able to start <laughs> looking at some of the terms that um, people use and reflect on them in our own sense. You know, like um, Neela Fuller Jr. and and Claude Anderson, a lot of these great people, Booker T. Coleman, I know these are people that you've either heard or seen in Hidden Colors or other you know, YouTube videos, but a lot of these guys have great methodologies of what can be done and how we can start looking at these people in a different form of light and stop looking at them as the concrete but just as a concept because they live and breathe and die and have emotions just like us, but we're, we're disassociated because of our economic classes. If we can, like I can say, idle it back, can humble ourselves in a different form and really look at this, this program of what we have as generations to come. Like we've lost out in our generations now if we're looking at what to do. The generations to come are the ones that we need to be catering to and looking at it from the perspective of us owning our operations of whether it's cannabis, whether it's farming, whether it's anything that's production of seeing it grow throughout the whole operational process. And yeah. that takes a lot of work. But that's what life is, and that's the whole point of anything you see around you. It's work. It didn't just develop. a yeah, faith-based yeah. mindset I, will never get you somewhere.
2: I believe in black ownership for sure, but I don't believe in labeling ourselves black this, black lectures and black blower, black record company, black media company, black weed company, whatever. We, we should just own it, control it, but we don't have to where our pigmentation or a melanin across a forehead is because then we become a target.
0: And I just think okay. that we
2: to just, okay, hey, we own it, we do it. Yeah. I mean, you, at you at could it put itself. it out there. You could, hold, you could,
0: yeah, and I, I agree with you. I mean,
1: well, okay. I agree with, I agree. I agree with him as well because being a makeup artist, being an owner operator of my own business, it, it did not serve me well to be known as a black makeup artist uh, that worked on, because then there was an assumption that I only specialize in black hair care, black makeup, black products, black women, black men, and that was not the case. I was a makeup artist for all. But now we see something new coming. And I like what Andre said, but I also know that there's a new – a new envelope that's being passed around. It's called so, social equity. And this social equity is a mere window where just a few of us are going to slide through. And it requires that we step out on our blackness. It requires that we step out on our, uh, the, the war on drugs and what happened to us in the 80s. It, re- it requires that we step out on our, Uh, prison records, and the things that we hid before, uh, this is actually coming into play for what is going to allow you the privilege of the license to make the millions. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Just take two minutes and talk about what is this social equity that's going down in Los Angeles that is requiring you to be black and to expound upon that. Tell us about that.
0: So uh, the social equity program is for um, minorities, primarily black as well as um, Hispanic. Uh, What they're trying to do is uh, push for industries that will allow them to get loans, to get the training, uh, financing, any kind of leg up that other industries typically come in and just flourish immediately off. So what they're trying to do is bring back a source of communal working labor as well to uh, provide jobs for people within the communities that were hurt and um, destroyed the most. And, you know, I I think the remnants of the, the, you know, certain people want to take away the war, but you can't take away the war without honoring the victims and honoring the warriors and people that are still in the shade of it. But um, the social equity program, I think, has a great uh, concept. And this is why I was going back to the abolitionist ideal, the moral conscious aspects of it thinking that we're all going to be sharing the same privileges of the health benefits and everything else that doesn't come with the same scrutinies of knowing that when we have been demonized around this drug for so long that now people are going to accept us so equally within this and social equity to me has you know a benefit no different than the board of you know board versus education where that was implemented but it took 10 years for even 14 percent of the population actually you know have it working within their, their communities and districts so I think it's something that'll take a while to really get in favor, but it'll also be something that other minority groups will definitely leverage themselves into it. And, you know, by them having a national identity, which allows them to go back to a national country does give them a little bit of a leg up to people that have been in a country that have no national identity. And, you know, like I say, I would love to take away the black elements of identity and having to put that there and using an adjective to describe something that has no substance it's it's the way we've allowed the supremacy of law to just go on and and construct that, and until we address the personas of things and redefine it within our own. I, I've said this, and this is my own opinion. You know, the greatest idea ever would be to take the letter J out of the actual alphabet and make that the new black language. Every word, every word, go through the dictionary, eliminate the J, and figure out a new way to to pronounce that word. And I guarantee you, once you get the tongue then now we have a way of communicating and now we have a way of advantaging ourselves over them. But once we start talking about that, that takes time, effort, and a little bit of, you know, due diligence. But um, the social equity program, I think, like I say, it has a great hindsight of it all, but if it lose the flair of it, I guarantee you the warriors will stand up. The black market will flourish and they've always labeled it as black market because it's the black people they're going for. It's not that, different come to my neighborhood you can definitely know there's a different tense of how the black market works compared to the anaheim business conference for cannabis and 1200 people there maybe 400 maybe four or five african-americans so i definitely understand where this is going but we have to make sure that we don't forget there's a void that fills in itself and we can't allow that to flood into these neighborhoods on a bad scale
1: Absolutely. Now, so that so that takes us to this. So Andres, the way this is working is that okay. So you have currently in Los Angeles. Well, what did we say? Maybe twenty two hundred uh, known dispensaries. And I would say maybe would you would you just guesstimate that maybe 98 oh, percent or oh, maybe ninety five percent of them are run by white ownership? What, what oh, would yeah. you say? Oh, yeah. I would oh, definitely,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, okay. you know, just from the time period of being out here and, and just prospecting on my scale of shops and whatnot with my brand, it's like I, I have an uphill. I mean, I've I've sat there, and it's sad to say I've talked to other black business owners within this industry, and it's like we always talk about, well, we're going to have to hire a white person to really be the Facebook because – we 're not socially accepted it doesn't matter how educated you are it doesn't I mean you put a fear in that you know you put a fear in anything that you do because it's it's literally going to be an influential thing that might outdo you know them but it, it's a very challenging thing because, yeah, we might own sixteen percent and you know the ones that think that they're going to get that shadow boxing of a position and stuff, and it's like you know you're throwing everything else into their power structure once again we have we have to unite on a form of saying that our block vote and my block set of what we do for all of us, you know, they said a thing, if all black people became Republicans, white people would become Democrats. And that's the truest thing ever, you know, but right. I just think if we can try to figure out a way to get ourselves to really see this as the Facebook of the last time our reparations could make any impact to our exactly. living existence, like, this is it. Like this is the it. time.
1: The time. Absolutely. Like there is no other
0: agricultural crop out there that has not been scoped as much as this plant. And and that's because of the scrutiny of where our chemistry labs are and where, no offense the white people's chemistry labs are, theirs are standard, ours are calibrated on the locations of where we're at and what we can do to just confine on the little bits of resources and information that we can utilize. So. I can't compete to them. But at the same time, we still have a due diligence to want to compete, and we should get Absolutely. that. We should at least get and, that. And, and we
1: should stand up for that. So just for our listening audience, you guys are listening to uh, Straight Talk Live. I'm your host. We're in the penthouse tonight with Brother Daryl. And our discussion is social equity. What does that mean? And when you hear it whispered, what are they talking about? This is what we're talking about. We have uh, our uh, CEO and chief, uh, Andre Ward on. Andre, you're there. I'm right here. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so um, now this is what I thought was more than I have. I was just so proud to be black, to sit on that seat and listen to the prerequisites. So let me just give you a prerequisite of a social equity piece that you could put on your application. Been to prison for nonviolent crimes, Uh, lived in Los Angeles uh, in 2007 to 2011, I think it was, and uh, had been on free lunch, yourself, your kids, anybody in the household, being on free lunch where your children received a free lunch. Having the opportunity to know anybody in your family that went to prison that impacted you, having someone either on drugs being either yourself and or a family member on drugs that had taken you out of the economic playing field. At any time in two consecutive years from 2017 to like let's say 2013, making under for Los Angeles City under $63,000 reported on your taxes. This makes you a person that can sign up for social equity and be considered for a license for a cannabis dispensary. And I think that's very important for people to really understand how it's worded because our white brother, when he hears social equity and our white sister, when she realizes that she is not a minority because the white women want to be considered Minorities, But when they find that out, that they are not, then all of a sudden they turn Republican and they no longer mm. are on our team. They no longer are wanting to be part of black women and women be strong. They then side up with their white brother and then they want to pull and disenfranchise themselves altogether from the organization that has gotten them so far. Would you say that's a, a pretty good uh, scenario of what's really happening?
0: Yeah, the culture vultures. I mean, we've seen that. <laughs> you know, there's no other way to describe it because, you know, that's a part of their innate being. I mean, I, I think, you know, they're along for the ride because they can they can compound it and make it seem like oh it's black and ain't and it's diverse, but it's like we still we still aren't addressing the one issue of it all and you know, we'll have a lot of $5 Indians come through and get their name on the bill and whatever else. And, you know, it might come down to percentages like they used to do back in the day and ancestry.com might win getting people 15% black might get them enough to get a social equity license. But, it just seems like it's really a You're funny right thing. You're about
1: that. Well, uh, Andre, <laughs> did you know about that? Did you know about uh, when uh, back in our homeland, Andre and I are both, our people are from Oklahoma, uh, okay. and we both have ancestry in the Creek Nation. And uh, what happened was is when the five tribes were, uh, came uh, through the Trail of Tears and uh, the cavalry came to give the land allotments that were promised In the treaty in Oklahoma Territory, Uh, many whites joined and said, "I'm gonna give you five dollars if you you put my Mm -hmm. name down. put my name down, so I could get a plot." You know, forget them. I'm your brother. Mm -hmm. Here's the five dollars, and they then became uh, a part Creek or a part Cherokee. And so the funny thing about it is, is when we look at them now, we see the Native American is very comfortable. With the lighter version, with the whiter version of his own mm-hmm. seed, opposed to the darker version, which we know the Black Seminoles and the people that were here indigenously were all of color. Oh yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Andre,
1: did you did you did you have a question? Did you have a question? I don't want to talk all. Uh, yeah. All oh stuff.
2: yeah. I did have uh, in getting a cannabis license. You know, once you go through all the paperwork and documentation and all that stuff, do they give you some type of training in the field on how to grow it? Because what if you've never grown this stuff before in your life? What if you've never even seen the plant before? Do they give you some type of on-site instruction on how to plant it, grow it, treat it, cut it, cultivate it, all the way up? to preparing it to for a final sale. And see
0: that's that's where I would have to really be honest with you. I think it it's kind of where you see yourself built in the different aspects of this industry because, you know, not everybody, you know, can drive a car at one time in one car, you know, and everybody's gotta understand you got a navigator and you gotta leverage what you're good at or what you don't have with, within this industry. Cultivation to manufacturing to distribution all has its different requirements to it um i definitely suggest reading it and you know that's the biggest part about what's going on is that they 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 hit it in language so if you can read it it's it's complex but it's worth you know the actual to to digest all that but um when it comes to the training process the social equity program what they are proposing are mentorships training facilities and stuff like that the thing that really kind of puts that at a disadvantage is that people are coming out of the blocks, running with this stuff already they've gotten the people that are pre-ICO, they've already got the license, you know, nods and stuff coming into this year. So it's like they've been just booming and making money, buying up real estate or being a part of the real estate boom that's coming out here. And that's another hidden, you know, denominator to a lot of this industry is the real estate market. But, you know, it's like the training aspect, I feel like is going to really put a lot of people at a low to, to bare minimum level because, you know, the pool will already be saturated with so many experts and people already doing it for years. And, you know, you look at, You know, a lot of the people that aren't reflected like us, they're owning it. I mean, some of the people I work with, you know, that are partners and stuff are are white. And, you know, they've had the opportunity because daddy financed them and they put their money towards this. And, you know, they know how to itemize their deductions properly on a tax form. And, you know, so it's like, it's not just knowing how to grow the plan. It's knowing how to operate a business, knowing how to facilitate a way of, you know, staying within compliance and knowing what compliance means and also knowing how to practice due diligence because, I think that there's a lot of forms of where we can just think, oh, I can apply anything in TV and any idea and impulse, and but your image is about that. And when it comes to this, we have to know that we can't come into this as some, some jive coons or anything. We have to come in this professional and look at this as a way of, of instituting our nation within a, a cash crop that could, that could take us out of a lot of the problems that we're dealing with within our communities of not being able to delegate the powers that we need. And so, you know, I definitely think people, if you're, you're trying to get educated on uh, cultivation, get knowledge, read up, do your, your own service. There's a lot of programs, you know, within the county, the city, if you're living in Los Angeles, any parts of California, they have workshops, they have meetup groups that you can join, um, cannabis groups. Um, I do say, you know, be be, be cautious because, you know, we're you know we part of, you know, Quip Hotel and FBI insurgents and all that stuff so it's like we have to be smart about what we do but at the same time be vocal on what you're educated on don't keep taking what the white man says is the truth because that doesn't always apply to us you know SWAT analysis works in school but in this industry it's different for us we have a different privilege and obligation to it all and we don't have the same sets of things that they got so you know, just be smart about it, but know where your strengths are at. Don't just get into this thing, I'm going to get a license in retail. It's not the best business for everybody. Maybe you can do a delivery, file yourself as a statutory employee, you know, figure out ways of winning on, you know, gas mileage and stuff like that. Build your infrastructure to understand what your cash can go towards because the industry is not going to always have people just doing trim work or doing mediocre slave job works. Don't, don't just think that the service element of this industry is going to be fun. It's going to be just like slavery. We can't be, we can't keep thinking that we like to put our headphones on and do something that doesn't allow us to interact and take control of what our futures are within this industry. And I think there's a lot of elements that are very strong and very very probable of us doing stuff because we are the front of this industry. A lot of us do it. Black males with no fathers are the highest addicts of the people that use this drug or use this medicine. So I definitely think that it should be capitalizing the most on this. So, you know, and that's wow.
1: So, 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 there's, so there's, now, a, now you, there's a
2: there's a there's a possibility you can get a license. And you've never even touched it, smoked it, or even seen a plant before in your life. So you have to go external of the due process to really learn about it. Yeah, I mean, really, the process of getting a license for
0: a first-time people won't even have until April 1st. So it's really you're going to be in a line. And when it comes to your application of what you're going for, how are you going to explain a security plan if you've never been around it? You don't know the security breaches of it all, so you have to hire people on. So, really, the budget of what you're going to be going for and not being educated into is going to go up for yourself to learn and try to be involved in it. One seed won't kill you. Being involved with the people around you in your community that might be involved in this, going to the actual dispensaries, collectives, they have classes. Um Oakshire Dam in Oakland is a great facility. I've never been there, I'm just talking about it from a standpoint of a meeting the people, but there's ways of getting involved. The internet is is an open source. That's where they hide the information now. It's not just in a book. You hide it on the Internet. You just got to learn keywords. And once you learn how to put three keywords in Google, it does masteries. It does better things than, than you'll ever imagine. But
1: absolutely, start let with me your just, research and development. you got to inquire. Let hard. me just say this. You know, we do have lamiraclecure.com, and you can go there and find. Uh, we have a newsletter. We also have about... Uh, four or five on um, America Out Loud, we have four or five podcasts, including an interview with the King of L.A. that talks even more about social equity. But the most important thing that we need to remember is that think about the pie. When you think about a pie and everybody's sitting at the table wanting a piece, there's only eight pieces to a pie, (laughs) right? So, You've got your landlord sitting at the pie at maybe thirty percent, and your license is tied to the landlord and and the land use and the special use op. Then you and I think, like you said, there's a trick to that, right? And then mm-hmm. your se- then your second person sitting at the table eating your pie. Uh-huh. Now you haven't even bought any product yet. You don't have any infrastructure. But your security, because when you get a license, you give up gun ownership. And I don't think that should be any time should that be involved in the procurement. I mean, if I was a diamond dealer or if I was a a, a gold, a jewelry manufacturer, I could have my jewels and I could have my gun for my self-protection. Just think about this, Brother Darrell, and I would only say this on straight talk, but if you and I were given license and we didn't have a gun, but we had to hire a white security company, now, why would we want to hire them at 33% of our pie, landlord, security company, oh, and we need insurance? Now, let's keep on going around that pie. I mean, at what time do we have a chance to make money? So, you have to think about it as a pie, how many people are going to be sitting at your table, eating with you off of your pie and your risk. This is not to dis this is not to discourage people from doing this, but this is to allow us to band together. Now, I left three pieces of the pie open, and I want to talk to you about this before we end our show. The funny mm-hmm. thing about all of this is that our white brother, has no intention of making a community liaison of handling any neighborhood watch group. They have no intention of protecting our youth. They just want to go full speed ahead. So we know that a lot of them are going to lose their businesses come January 1st. It's not to say that they will lose their business forever but they will have their businesses closed or they're going to be taxed, I think, $20,000 a day until they do close the business because there needs to be room for social equity because social equity, the the pre-ICO goes first and then social equity goes second and then them and everyone else goes third in the licensing category for California. So what that means is, is that there will be a period of time where we will have our license, and guess what? We won't have any protection. So what do you think about that? And what do you think we should do for our children? Do you think we should be on the flip side and come up with community programs and each community, each zip code, tax, the dispensary that's in their area so that they can provide protection for our young people?
0: I think, I mean, from the standpoint of us coming together and protecting our neighborhoods from the Neighborhood Watch, I think you know, that's always been a big part. I mean, I know my neighborhood, they do that now just because of the way it's been transitioning and with the board and whatnot. But um, I guess from the protection of knowing that, you know, uh, us coming in and taking their position in any kind of facility of real estate, I mean, really, like, it's it's going to be the perception of who the real estate is. And if their skin is fair, they're going to go with fair skin. So they will find a way to disassociate us. I mean, they put a lot of the, the actual places where you can actually have your industry out and, and actually, um, you know, be able to, you know, have your industry to where you can move anything and be kind of fluid as much as they are. But there's too many, I guess what I'm getting to is this, is that if we're to protect ourselves, we got to stop thinking that everything within this licensing is going to do that. And if we're not willing to educate ourselves in what it takes to do it, it's not going to benefit us. And that's what it that goes back to the cultivation. You can't I – mean, I'm not saying you have to be involved in every element of it, but you want to make sure that you're actually benefiting from knowing the language of it. Same thing with distribution. Mm. You want to know that your supply chain, is a part of what's going to make something move from this place to next and knowing that your quality assurance is there. So I just think when it comes to protection, we really have to confine ourselves into making sure that we're abiding by any kind of regulations or compliancy and then making sure that we're building our alliances with people that are competent and want to actually move forward and stuff. So, you know, it, it, it's a two-fold thing, but, you know, to prepare too much for this next year where regulation is going to go, it, it's 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 kind of up to the Coleman Rand. I mean, Jeff Sessions can wake up tomorrow and say, hey, it's done. I'm not going to even allow this to go. I'm going to stop the states, and, you know, it'll, it'll end there, and the states will be fighting for it, and, you know, they'll easily make examples of us over all that to just prove it. And I think with even the scrutiny of knowing that it's going to be somewhat legal in the next year, they're gonna have loopholes of finding better ways of arresting people and what better people to make a precedent in any kind of court system, you know, black people. I mean if the smells the next thing they're gonna attack, they're gonna be going after people that smoke swishers and that's not a large percentage of Caucasian people.
1: Wow. So I have one more uh question before we close. And Andre, did you have a oh, question? Yeah. yeah.
2: Once you get a license and you want to establish your own, once you have your license and you want to establish your own cannabis business, on the average, how much of an investment does it take to uh, get all the equipment, facilities, uh, staffing, insurance, all the necessities? How much should someone... Uh, plan on having to invest into an, having a successful business.
0: Uh, it, that, once again, I mean, if you're doing, if you're trying to get into testing facilities, I think that's one of the hardest areas to get into because of the scrutiny of how you're standardizing calibrations. Um, you know, a million plus, and like I say, I'm I'm literally talking so ballpark figure far off of what it financially takes because. I just think there's a secret number that they're going to be able to implement for a standard, and then there's going to be fees and whatever else. I mean, I know to do a fire inspection, you know, that's a couple thousand dollars, you know. So it depends on if you're doing manufacturing. If you you really look at what you want to do, and I think a lot of people that are new to this industry, they want to create a brand. They want to connect themselves with what kids are cool and hip into, which is flower edibles, um, wax and they want they wanna institute themselves within an investing group. so it's like those are angles that people I think can look at as a as a lower level way of getting their money to be active involved in the industry without having to take larger risk. If you're wanting to go and be the full on you know manager of your own retail spot, you know you definitely look at locations first, getting an loI, um, getting an insurance, you know, just kind of a, a quote in a sense to where if you get the license that you can go head forth and start paying for the actual insurance, Um, partnering with people. I think literally, like, I mean, that's where we can win a lot of times is you can't do everything. I mean, you know, you look at, if you grew 20 pounds, you cannot sit and think that you're going to be able to go through that in one day of trim. That's, that's literally five days of work. If you can add people to that, you can minimize your time and, you know, and also focus on other things. So I think leveraging, but, When it comes to all that being said, it really does take a team. It does take you to look at what is going to be financially viable for your situation. Um, For me, I, and this is just my situation. I'm creating a brand. I find it more appealing and easy to do outreach and to try to build it off of a narrative that speaks to the brand culture, people that are within it. And I find that that's one angle of cutting costs where I can do outreach on my own scale. And that, a a more targeted element you know that's how i was able to you know go to events and kind of speak or go to workshops is because these these are the places of where a lot of people are interested in moving forward and it might not have to be all your capital you can leverage it with other people so um you know but i really do think make sure that you look at the four elements of it if you're looking at going into distribution uh, manufacturing um, even forms of different forms of manufacturing, whether solvents or if you're doing supercriticals or anything like that, or even food processing, find a way to negotiate with the brand you like and reach out to them and negotiate for free. I, I don't care how selfless it takes. I really do agree. If you can make a good story, you know, you should ask for something for free to get some kind of help or a trade for some kind of leveraging in which, what you need to do to get it out there. But, um, you know, When it comes to, to the money aspect, you, you will be expected to invest a good substantial amount of it. Um, and like I said, really, just like 75% of small businesses fail, it's the same thing with this industry. You will see a kick out of people. It will be a higher percentage of us because a lot of us will go into that faith-based mindset thinking that everything just falls into play. You hire the attorney, the attorney does the work, and da, da, da. No, you mm-hmm. really do have to do your due diligence to protect your assets within this, and that's all it's worth.
1: I, uh, you know what, I love what you said about the attorneys since I've been doing my interviews. It's so interesting about how many attorneys literally are lying to people, telling people, yo, oh, yeah, you can, I can get the license for you. Not a problem. You give me 2000, give me 1500, give me 15,000. I'll take care of it all. And that's my, nobody has a license. Come on. Let's be safe. Let's be honest. Yeah, no nobody in California has a license. Everybody says, well, I have a license. I've been doing that. I mean, they're all lying. Nobody has a license. The no, licensing will be given out after the 1st of January. They're going to start with all those people, let me say it again, who have had licenses prior to 2007. And the next step will be the social equity piece, which will be people that look like you, me, and, and us. And in order to do that, we are going to have to drop our pride. We're going to have to decide not to be the head. We might have to be the tail, but if you're the one with the money, then you need to come with the money. If you're the one with the clean record, you need to come with the clean record. Everybody has to have their fingerprints and has to be expo- a- 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 exposed on the paperwork. But this is going to be the last time that we're going to have an opportunity to make millions. This is going yeah. to be it. So people wake up, get with the people you love, and let's get going. Because not that it is necessary to pursue recreational adult-use marijuana, but it is important to pursue the knowledge of what's happening because there's going to be jobs, there's going to be all sorts of ancillary positions in the state of California. I mean, just to go to show you, Andre, did you know that's the little city that's between uh, California right on the border called Needles. It's close to Needles, mm-hmm. but that was just recently purchased by two white men. They bought it for $5 million, the whole town. They're going to turn it into a cannabis resort. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, yeah. so we have got to wake up and we've got to reeducate. And we've got to listen to people like Brother Daryl here, who is well-versed in the social equity piece. Um, there's applications with your city government in, in Oakland and in Los Angeles and in Al-Savina. And whatever state you're in, trust me, you've got to get a local, local license first. Uh, Brother Daryl, I just want to thank you so much. Now, why don't you tell us where people can contact you for your Product? Are you ready to start talking
0: about yeah. that? Or okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you can Instagram is probably the best way or easiest way to kind of follow up on real time. But um, dope droppers with plural at dope droppers. It's uh, Instagram, and then if you want to go online, the uh, website it'll be. It's up and running. I will be working on it for the next couple of weeks and stuff, but it will www.dopedropper.com, www.dopedropper.com. Www.dope, dope, Sorry, tongue twister. But, um, yeah, and other than that, I mean, just, just look out for or hear, look, listen out for the voice. I know that I'll be talking and going into as many events as possible. I know it's Thursday there's another meetup. That I'll Absolutely. definitely be popping my I'll head up to, and...
1: maybe we'll sit together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would love to sit with you, so don't forget to look out for me. I'll be there. All right. So, Andre, did you have any last questions? Or uh, this was uh, really a tremendous interview. I thank you very much, Brother Daryl, and I thank p25cl.com for allowing us this opportunity because this conversation we've had is only for our golden ears. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yes. No, good, good luck to you, my brother, and uh, wish you very well in your endeavors with that, man. And we thank you for coming on to the show and and uh, wish you much success with it. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Again, another installation of uh, Stray Talk, uh Live, and we thank you. t25c. 5 will Go there and check out Independent Music Artists. You can download United We Stand and look for the new films and projects that are going to be coming uh, uh, to you uh, in the near future. So again, Brother Darrell, we thank you. And uh, remember, dopedroppers.com. Thank you, Andre. And uh, all right, gentlemen, to all, a good night.
2: All right. Good
1: night. night.